Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Infectious Groove Podcast, part of the Odd Pods Media Network. Recorded from Detroit, Michigan and Jacksonville, Florida. The Infectious Groove Podcast is your source for jammy jams, album reviews, and the best in-depth music discussion. Thanks for joining us. Now here are your hosts. It is, in fact, the Infectious Groove Podcast moving steadily through our final season, which I'm uh, overjoyed, sad, and excited about all at the same time. Uh, Of course, our YouTube channel will continue on after the show, so as soon as we get through these 15 episodes of Season 8, do not forget that we have the uh, Infectious Groove Music Channel on YouTube, which gives you three videos every single week, and that will continue on. Uh, Having said that, we do have some great guests and some great topics lined up for this season. I think we kicked off in a great way last week with Garrett from uh, Ever Training Story coming in and helping us talk about mixtapes. And of course, we have some feedback to share on that. Having said that, Speaking of excellent guests, a person who has given us plenty of feedback has been a guest on the show before and has recently revived, we're not sure for how long, but he revived his own uh, music podcast, Treble Treble. Seth is with us. Seth, welcome back. Hey, everybody. It's good to be back here on the Infectious Group podcast, especially on the last season. You know, I couldn't uh, just, you know, go let the final season happen without trying to, like, get get my two cents in. Yeah, you're on you're on two episodes this season. So if anybody is excited to hear you on this episode, you're actually going to be on the second to the last episode of the show, as yes. well, which I think is cool. However, if people have listened to you on my show before or are unaware that you have your own podcast, it is a music podcast. It's one of the only other music podcasts that I've guested on uh, very recently. Seth recently had me on. We talked through Nirvana. Uh, never mind. And then I know that you do your concept is more or less to discuss an album per week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. We do an, an album per week. And then like one, at least usually one mini topic. It's just sort of like a more truncated version of like one of your topical episodes. Right. Um, yeah. When I was on, we talked, I know about uh, like artist cancellations and uh, the whole Ticketmaster BS that goes on and whatnot. So it is a fun show. It is a program that we like and we like to promote it. So please, if you have yes. not, go over to uh, your podcast platform and look for Treble Treble. It's one word, right? Like when it's when you look it up, you just type Treble um, Treble. I think it comes up as one word. I think you could probably find it either way. I'm not yeah. sure exactly. If you type in Treble, it's probably going to come up before. 
oh uh, sure anything else so you might get some irish uh rugby podcast as well but <laughs> right that was something i figured out later after naming my podcast <laughs> solid uh having said that this week we're gonna have a whole bunch of things combined i recently went on seth's show to talk about nirvana seth is a regular contributor to our program and all those things are going to combine this week because our main topic this week is a totally epic cover battle featuring nirvana against David Bowie for the song, the man who sold the world, which uh, I know Michelle is absent this episode, but I really feel like Michelle's not alone in being a person who, when you say the man who sold the world, they go, that was a cover. Like, even though right after Kurt played it, he said that was a David Bowie song. I feel like a lot of people probably don't know. That's actually um, how I discovered the Bowie song because that he's like, oh, this is a David Bowie song. I'm like, oh, cool. Let me go listen to David Bowie's song. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in the second half because I was I, – I, let me put it this way. If anybody tells you that, that that wasn't the case for them, they're most likely not telling the truth in my opinion. <laughs> Liars. Yeah. So uh, having said that, like I said last week, Garrett from the Ever Training Story podcast was nice enough to sit in with us and talk about mixtapes. So we have some feedback from that. I think a couple other things. Let's get to that. Feedback, John. Don't worry about that. Right. So on last week's program, one of the things that we did, we always, of course, talk about our jammy jams. And one of the jammy jams that Garrett had was the Weird Al song Trapped in the Drive-Thru, which is (laughs) a parody of Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly. Yes. And I went on at great length about how no one should ever listen to Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly, which has nothing to do with like R. Kelly's shenanigans. It has to do with the fact that that song is awful. Like, you know, that was my uh, take on it. So our friends Sean and Chris wrote in and said, so I paused the show because I had to go check out Trapped in, my clo- uh, Trapped in the Closet. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. It's not one song. It's eight. And I said, yes, yes, that's correct. Uh, Sean and Chris go on to quote Michelle and say, let me put that in the internet machine. I'm going to miss these nuggets of gold from Michelle. <laughs> I was just, poor exci- Michelle. yeah, I was just excited. Michelle Googled anything for herself. Yeah, so, she did it. Yeah, she did. We're winning. Finally season, final season. <laughs> I know it's like she chose this season to Google things for herself and to remember mm-hmm. things. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened? I know. You, you finally got through to her. I know. It took it took eight years, but we got eight it. Eight years. We got there. <laughs> uh, our friends over at the Super Media Brothers wrote in regarding mixtapes and said, mixtapes and mix CDs are the best, honestly, some of the best gifts I've ever given or received. And I totally agree with that. Definitely. I have a comment about mix CDs, but I'll wait till the feedback's over. No, no, go ahead. Because I think the next couple of things I have are on other topics. So go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, well, I just, the only thing I wanted to bring up about mixed CDs, well, I, I really like the podcast. It was a good discussion, first of all. Second of all, I thought an interesting, like, kind of like offshoot of this is like compilation CDs. And like, that's like growing up in high school and stuff like that. That's how I would find like a lot of band or like a lot of music. Right, right. Um, like, is uh, through like now that's hopeless records. Music. Yeah. Like, you know, they would put up like a song from all their bands, drive through records, like mostly in the pop punk scene and stuff like that. I mean, technically, I guess you would consider that a mix CD is kind of made yeah, for me. Yeah, no, I was thinking, <laughs> I, my immediate thought was stuff like, now that's what I call music. Or, you know what I mean? But I totally know it. Like Cleopatra Records used to do that. Uh, Roadrunner yeah. Records did that. I, t- mm-hmm. I, I totally know what you mean. And I have a great side story to tell about that. So one time um, I used to work big box retail. So I've like managed, you know, a Best Buy and a Circuit City and all that type of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, this was like 15 years ago. We were all standing around doing a morning meeting. And you know how 
they do the icebreakers where it's like, oh, you got to tell us something that happened over the weekend or whatever. Well, I was that guy. I had to have the icebreakers, right? So I said, okay, well, I'm going to put this in my wheelhouse. I want to, you know, we'll go through the team and everybody tell us an album that changed your life. And so people, you know, it, again, this is 15 years ago. So people are like uh, American Idiot or Nevermind or Super <laughs> Unknown, right? And I'm like, of course, Pink Floyd, The Wall. And then this woman that worked there, she was like Jock Jams. <laughs> she was what? like still, like a hundred percent serious like was as in the 90s oh yeah so it's like okay. the it's like the album that has like uh rock and roll part two by gary glitter and like oh uh, yeah you know like uh we will rock you and stuff and she's like changed my life the chicago bulls theme song <laughs> yeah. she's like a thousand percent serious and all of us are like all right well um, it's each their own yeah so moving on with feedback, this is kind of funny. So, and Seth, I know you know this uh, about me personally. I try very hard not to get involved in social media shenanigans. Like I try, yeah. I try not to take bait when people right. throw it out there. Uh, I'm not always successful, but I try. <laughs> it and, depends on how much alcohol is consumed at the time. Right. So <laughs> the other day on our YouTube channel, we put out a video that Lauren constructed called Five Underrated Girl Group Singers. And we had a, I'm assuming, self-proclaimed music snob slash know-it-all come at yeah. us on Twitter going on oh about uh, how terrible Lauren's choices were. Like all these, he's been a fan of this band for 40 years, and this is why this person is not as good of a singer as and uh it wasn't like i'm gonna defend lauren it was like i think you missed the point of this video friend you know like we're just having fun here you know talking about this anyways it went on for like 10 or 15 tweets and then the person ended up deleting all their replies anyways of course uh, yeah afterwards (laughs) but this silver lining on this so literally not 10 minutes after that conversation ended i get a notification that we got a youtube comment so i look at it and it says wow Debbie Peterson, Mel C, Jane Weedland, you nailed all my favorites. You guys absolutely nailed it. So it's like <laughs> there you yeah, go. somebody looking for a Twitter fight says some dumb crap. And then somebody who wanted to enjoy the video, enjoyed the video. Go figure. Well, and also the video was five underrated singers. It wasn't the only five underrated singers. Right, right. <laughs> There can be more than five. <laughs> yes. Oh, for sure. Well, no, the person was on Twitter was saying that the people that Lauren picked are not underrated. Hmm. Yeah, I know. It's dumb. Okay. Anyways, but I love it was literally the person on YouTube named exactly the people that the guy on Twitter had a problem with. It was very funny. <laughs> Our friend Dave from Beer and Front writes in and says, Michelle doubled down on Karen Carpenter being just all right. Well, I know what my Jamie Jams are going to be coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <The best> stuff. <laughs> Garrett wrote in regarding his uh, guest spot last week said, thanks again for having me on. This was so much fun, and I've been happy to be a guest on this wonderful podcast for a couple of episodes. It has been a hell of a run. And uh, Garrett, we appreciate you, everything you do for us. We love your show, and uh, we are grateful that we were able to have you on again. Lastly, and this is, of course, Michelle-centric feedback, but we got a comment on last week's episode in all caps that says, Def Leppard is not that great, question mark, exclamation point. You know what? Maybe it's a good thing the show is ending because Michelle needs to be stopped. Yeah, uh, Michelle has been going a little ham with like these controversial opinions on the last season. Oh, yeah, she's out of Fs. Like, yeah, Yeah, she, she used them all up through the first seven seasons and she's she's out now. I feel like we're getting to know the real Michelle. Oh. Yeah, (laughs) y'all are in for a treat. All right. So anyways, even though the show is coming to an end, again, we have the YouTube channel where you can drop all sorts of comments over there. And we will always be reading your feedback all the way up till the very bitter end of this. But before we go on into the second half of the show, we have to cover one of our favorite segments. Our Jammies. 
Our Jammy Jams this week has been for me a very female-centric lead-in because of there's an, a newer artist, and by newer, I am probably mean like within the last 10 years, named uh, Dorothy, who does, I don't want to mean this in a derogatory way, but it's like radio rock. Like just, okay. you know, like a, like pop, uh, like a pop radio friendly, a little, a little bit harder than pop rock. Yeah. Okay. And she has this song that came out, geez, I don't know, about five years ago called flawless that I just absolutely love. And actually let yeah. me hear, you know what? I can, I can tell you what she sounds like by telling you who she works with. She <laughs> okay. works, she works with Linda Perry. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but she has this great song called flawless. And the other day, I, uh, the song flew into my head and I was sitting on the couch and I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to bring that video up or find a live version of it or whatever, you know? So I found a live version of her on some LA morning show killing the song. And then I was like, Oh, you know what? I think she's put out a couple of records since I bought that album. So I yeah. just brought up anything that YouTube showed from her in like the last two or three years. And all of it was great. Like all of it just, and again, Linda Perry's a hit factory. You know, oh yeah, you know. she's a she's incredible, like mm. talented writer. For you know sure. what song uh, Linda Perry wrote that like no one knows she wrote? Uh, "Beautiful" by Christina Aguilera. Christina Aguilera, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. and like no one knows the four non blondes lady wrote that song. You know, yeah, she's written a lot of songs that people probably mm-hmm. love. <laughs> I, I I always came into that because back in 2006, um, Guns N' Roses had two guitar players in it that would do as their solo spot. They would do a, like an intertwining instrumental version of beautiful which oh, yeah. like you wouldn't mm-hmm. figure you'd see at, at a gnr show right <laughs> and all and all the gnr fans of course had a problem with it of course and uh but one of the guitar players is a guy named richard fortis who's like uh, best friends with linda perry so it's like of course he's go. gonna play this song you know what i mean yeah so so anyways so dorothy was like a big huge thing and then because of dorothy i, I just got on a female kick and was listening to a bunch of other stuff like um I am a sucker for late eighties share. Uh, oh, yeah. like, like okay. I don't, I don't dislike, uh, I got you babe and gypsies, tramps and thieves and all that stuff, but right. <laughs> I really, I don't dig her nineties output because to me it's very like, Oh, Madonna did that. I'll do that too. Like that's okay. what, that's how I hear shares 90 output, 90s I output, can see that. but man, yeah. her late eighties stuff. Like, uh, I found someone, if I could turn back time, we all sleep alone, all that stuff. Um, yeah. And then lastly, and this is way off base from the other two, but uh, very <laughs> strong female voice. And I just, uh, I love this song so much. Um, there's a country artist named Leanne Womack who is extremely popular, but still somehow really underrated. Like her name never comes up amongst like. Hasn't she, she been around for a long time too? She, yeah, she's been around for, for a minute, like I 20 years at a guess. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like her, vo- like if you talk about women in country, it's always going to be Shania, Dolly, um, Trisha Yearwood, like the same names come up and she, Leanne Womack is like Martina McBride where you never hear about either of them and you really should. And, um, okay. So she put out this one record called, uh, which again is like 15 years old now, but it's called, there's more where that came from. And it's okay. like, um, it's like classic, classic country. Like it's all new songs, but it sounds like it was recorded in, it sounds like a seventies Dolly Parton album. Oh wow, cool. Right, yeah. And um country's not my thing, but I do like Dolly, so I I'd be out, willing to give it a listen. <laughs> check out this one particular song that I'm gonna mention because it's the one that okay. I have I always get stuck in my head. And it's a song called I May Hate Myself in the Morning. And so the chorus is I may hate myself in the morning, but I'm gonna love you tonight. So right. you know, uh okay. very will you still love me tomorrow, Carol King type of vibe to the lyrics. But in in she 
her voice isn't even remarkable on this particular song, but she emotes it to the point where you're like, oh, damn, I get what she's talking about there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have heard her name, so yeah, mm-hmm. I should check her out. Yeah. I it, At a bare minimum, check that song out because if you go to YouTube or to streaming and you type in Leanne Womack, you're probably going to get her glossy hits stuff will come mm-hmm. up first. Like um, okay. she has a lot of stuff that's Shania-esque and okay. <laughs> um, Faith Hill-esque. Okay. And I don't have any problem with that stuff. I'm just saying, I feel like this particular song and the record it comes from is like a cut above that in my opinion. Yeah. I was a big Faith Hill fan. Well, not big fan. I was a fan of Faith Hill in the nineties and early two thousands. We had a huge argument at uh, trivia last night because one of the answers was uh, breathe by uh, Faith Hill. Yeah. And uh, we had a big argument over whether the song is called breathe or just breathe. Oh, uh, and it turns out it was it's very called, important. Yeah, it was very well. There were points on the line of trivia, but uh, oh, right, but right, right, right. turns out the song's called Breathe. So anyways, having said that, a lot of powerful ladies I've been listening to from all sorts of different uh, decades. And uh, I didn't even do that on purpose. It's just songs that I love. So those will go on the playlist. Seth, what have been your jammy jams? Um, so my favorite songs, actually, I brought albums this time. Um, so I have, uh, you know, if you listen to it, one of the last episodes, you'll know I'm a big Monoskin fan. Uh, they put out, uh, since the last time I was on the show, they put out a new album called Rush. And it's just like really, really good. And um, there's a great song on it called Gasoline that I love a lot that mm. they had put it out maybe a year or they started performing about a year ago mm. but now it's finally out recorded somewhere i can listen to it on demand <laughs> i know <laughs> it's, i know I that it. this is kind of adjacent but we talk about the band the lone bellow a lot yeah on the mm-hmm. show and whenever we go see them they are always doing like three or four songs that i'm like oh my god this song is awesome and then it yeah sometimes it comes out like on the next or the album after that you know, yep. And I'm mm-hmm. always like, "Damn it, would you put that song on an album, please?" You know, <laughs> I want this goddamn song. Yeah, yeah. And also, Monoskin is one of those bands that I'm I identify as Monoskin adjacent. Like, mm-hmm. like I know of them. I never yeah. dislike it when I hear their stuff, but I have yet right. to go like listen to more like I should. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a, a good listen. I I, I really enjoy um, this new album. is is really good. Um, I feel like I think majority is in english um just a couple songs in italian but a lot of the songs too have been put out as singles so you you may know a few but um yeah it's really good the other album that i've been really listening to a lot is by an old band called newfound glory and it's called it's their most recent release make the most of it and it's an acoustic album okay and so like the first part is it new cuts or is it uh them redoing their stuff acoustic well, the first the first part of the album is all new okay. uh, music, and then they do, and then the second half is acoustic versions of like their favorites, you know, all the hit songs that people love from them. Mm-hmm. So it's really fun. Like I really enjoy. Um, actually, the new songs are pretty good, and then of course, you know, I have all that nostalgia attached to the the old songs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I really, really, really love that a lot. I The only reason why I ask is because I've heard a lot of bands do that. They'll go back to the well and like recut their stuff acoustic, right? Uh, yep. To varying degrees of success. Like yes. <laughs> the, the, the Cure like literally redid their Greatest Hits album as the Greatest Hits acoustic and it's killer. Yeah. Like it's yeah. killer. Oh, yeah. Uh, I but, think I like acoustic or the acoustic better than the Yeah. Oh, other. yeah. Yeah. On yeah. a lot of the songs. 
Yeah. Uh, but then Bon Jovi put out an acoustic record called This Left Feels Right. That is one of the worst things that's ever entered my ears. And I'm like a Bon Jovi fan. And that, like, if I ever meet John Bon Jovi, I'm going to ask him to apologize for that record. Like, it's yeah. it's so bad. I think of him more of as like a, um electric arena rock type dude. And so, like, uh, to imagine him playing an acoustic album just... Uh, it's, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah. It doesn't compute. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, so anyways, yeah. I assume you have at least one more record you've been listening to or what was it? Yeah. So, um, I've been listening, well, I have one more record and it's, uh, by a band called the used because Michelle mentioned that last week. So yep. of course I was one of my, one of my favorite bands. And so I had to go listen to, uh, I've been listening to their first album and then their acoustic album. Their acoustic album is a success. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. The, I, you know, when Michelle mentioned the use last week, I meant to mention this. So this is the craziest story. Do you want to hear how I heard of the band, the used? Sure. Okay. So Kelly Osborne had oh, right, right. put out a record, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and it's not bad. I swear to God that Kelly Osborne album is good. Um, I like her cover of Papa Don't Preach. Yeah. Yeah. The whole rest of the record is that good. Like it's all, yeah. it's all pop punk type stuff. Yeah. So anyways, mm-hmm. uh, and here's something you don't hear somebody admit every day. I went to see Kelly Osborne in concert, uh, downtown Whoa. Detroit. Oh yeah. And there was a dude <laughs> with like security around him and stuff like, like near us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, obviously that's somebody important. And, and everybody around us were like, oh, that's the guy from the used. That's, yeah. that's Kelly Osborne's old man, you know? And I was like, oh, I don't even know what the used is, you know? And like, yeah. so, and like soon, <laughs> soon after they like semi blew up, you know, and I knew yeah. more about him. But anytime somebody's like, oh, you know, the used, I'm like, yeah, but I don't really want to tell you why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I knew that they were dating because I used to watch the MTV show, The Osbournes. Right <laughs> and on. he was like br- on there briefly while they were dating. Right on. Uh, so, yeah. so between the two of us, a whole mix mash of a whole bunch of stuff, which is great to listen to. And uh, I really think everybody will like the mix of stuff. That yeah, our mixtape too. Yeah, I know. End up well. Now remember, we decided that playlists <laughs> only count sometimes. Um, okay. <laughs> but anyways, we are going to take a quick break. When we get back, I feel like there's way more pressure on Seth than me for this because uh, Seth Uh-oh. loves both of these artists a great deal. I do. We are going to get into the totally epic cover battle of the man who sold the world, the Nirvana version versus the David Bowie version. We're going to decide which one we like best. You're listening to the Odd Pods Media Network and the Infectious Group Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, you there. We've got a question for you. Are you tired of clickbait stories and the loudest voices driving discussions in culture and entertainment? If so, I'm Dylan. I'm Kendall. 
And I'm Corey, and we host the podcast From the Middle. We're middle-class guys living in the middle of America, in the middle chapters of our lives with points of view somewhere in the middle. We take a more reasonable and centrist approach in our discussions covering genres like comedy, culture, entertainment, and interviews with really interesting folks like business owners, comic creators, doctors, news anchors, New York Times best-selling illustrators, professional stand-up comics, and more. We really value a relaxed and conversational podcast, one that we hope is so fun and laid back, you'll forget you're not actually hanging out with us. So search at From the Mid Pod, just like it sounds, or check us out everywhere you can find podcasts. Hey, it's Dalton. I'm Tony. And I'm Sam. We want to tell you about Big Ten Plus Four. Do you want to hear football talk that doesn't only talk about the SEC? Are you tired of always hearing about how the Big Ten doesn't perform in the big dance? Then we're the show for you. You can catch us each week live on the ASAP Network. And later that day on Odd Pods Media, we bring you college sports with a Big Ten flavor. Big Ten Plus Four. College sports with Midwest perspective. Blue collar and blue blood. We are back. It's Russ from the Infectious Groove Podcast, and along with me this week for the ride is Seth from the Treble Treble Podcast, which you can find on all podcast platforms. So if you're in the mood to hear Seth talk more about great music and uh, great artists and in-depth discussion about records, by all means, stop what you're doing, go search for Treble Treble Podcast, hit the subscribe button, and then come on back and listen to us go on and on and on about the topic (laughs) at hand. The topic at hand this week is, in fact, The Man Who Sold the World, a song that, as we touched on earlier, and we'll get into this a little bit more in a bit, but I feel like the great majority of the world uh, heard this from Nirvana first. But as we always do, we will go through and tell you a little bit about each track. And then Seth and I are going to walk through what we like about the original, what we like about the cover, which one is our personal favorite and why. And then uh, I know we give Michelle a hard time on the show, but we always ask this extra question that Michelle threw in, which I think puts a unique twist on things, is uh, even though you have a favorite, which one would you recommend to someone else? So we're going to talk through all of that in the second half of the show. The song, The Man Who Sold the World, was originally recorded by David Bowie. It was the title track from his third album, which was brought to the world on November of 1970. So this is going way back. Recorded uh, near the end of the album sessions, which I always find that very, very interesting when that happens for a song, especially one that becomes a bigger deal later. Like, not necessarily that it was an afterthought, but it certainly wasn't the forefront for the record. Right. You know? Um, The song was also never released as a single by David Bowie. And the only way that it got popular was uh, (laughs) Lulu, uh, as in To Sir With Love, Lulu, uh, recorded it and released it as a single in 1974. So from all the research I could do, because I was trying to find like, is it a, you know, again, I'll put it in the Pink Floyd uh, wheelhouse. So you get somebody like me (laughs) that loves Pink Floyd as much as I do. They have a song called Fearless that was never released as a single, but like, Every Pink Floyd fan knows this song, right? Right, yeah. Uh, Like, even some casual Pink Floyd fans know this song. But it's a very (laughs) organic thing. Like, it's not a thing no one ever covered Fearless or anything like that. So I always try to get to the bottom of, like, what made Kurt pick this song. Like, is there a version that everyone knew? Right. And from what I could find, Lulu's version is the one that, like, most people knew. And then even back then, people were like, oh, that's that's a cover of a Bowie song. 
you know. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, the song was thrust into the mass market uh, because it was, of course, part of the famous Nirvana Unplugged in New York record, which uh, was originally broadcast in December of 1993 prior to us losing Kurt. It was the first official release from Nirvana after Kurt passed away. So the program aired on MTV in December of 93. Uh, and then after we lost Kurt, uh, seven months after we lost Kurt, the companion album, which was released, which I would assume nearly every person listening to the show probably has a copy or knows someone uh, with a copy of it. Uh, there yep. was never any. I think I have two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I, they, they put out like a re-release yeah, uh, I, within I, the last few years. I've owned it at least four times on different <laughs> formats and things. There were never any official singles from the Unplugged record, but there are things that got played on radio regardless of being a single. Uh, I'm speaking only for Detroit radio, but all apologies and about a girl were played oh, yeah. from Unplugged as if they were the premier singles from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then out of nowhere, the Bowie cut, uh, man who sold the world got was, I mean, just, I don't even want to say overplayed. It was played all the time on Detroit radio. Yeah. Was that the same where you were at? Was those three? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So we've got a unique set of circumstances here, in my opinion, because we have a song that I would assume everybody listening to this program has heard. And until the end of it, when Kurt Cobain says that was a David Bowie song, I don't feel like anybody knew that it was a David Bowie song. Probably not. I actually learned about like a lot of great songs and bands through that unplugged session, like the Vaselines and the Lead Bellies. And like, so through like, I learned a lot of bands through that, Mm -hmm. you know, or a lot of bands to go check out. I remember not looking forward to Nirvana Unplugged when it came because, Uh because at the time, Unplugged was pretty much you sit down, you do your hits, and right. which is which is cool. You yeah. know, a lot of mm-hmm. people forget Unplugged was a half hour format show when it started, and they had two bands. So right. you had 15 minutes of Aerosmith and 15 minutes of Tesla doing yeah. like acoustic versions of their hits, and that was it, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking ahead of time, like, yeah, but I don't want to hear an acoustic version of Teen Spirit though. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, right. you know. And he it, didn't. Yeah, well, no, that's what, <laughs> but that's why I'm saying why I wasn't looking forward to it. Right. Oh, okay. I see. And then yeah. you get into things like not only did they avoid the greater majority of Nevermind and they focus more on In Utero, which is a far superior album, but they, in turn, you get Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam. You get The Man Who Sold the yep. World. You get Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, me. Like uh, a Plateau, Lake of Fire. I mean, it's just yeah. crazy. And I will say, I did know coming into the show, I did know Where Did You Sleep Last Night and um, Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam. Yeah. Uh, but I did not know The Man Who Sold the World. And I absolutely didn't know the three Meat Puppets cuts either. And I yeah. came away, I came away <laughs> loving those songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. same. Yeah. Absolutely. If anything, I could have done with it. Like the only part of there unplugged that I could have done without is uh, "Come as You Are," just because I'm I'm like, yep, I don't. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't we need know it. how you feel about that song. Well, I just don't. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't need an acoustic version of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's darn near an acoustic song, anyways. You That's know, true. the original. So, yeah. Uh, so focusing in solely on uh, the man who sold the world, personally, and we're going to talk through this. Some, um, I think that the two versions are this is going to sound like such an ignorant statement. They're so similar, but they're so different. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Uh, they, it's hard to describe how similar they are and how different that they are. So uh, yeah. let's start with the original. I know that you're, I'm not, not a Bowie fan, but I, I don't, I'm, 
I leave it for other people who are more invested in Bowie than me, right? <laughs> and I view yeah. you as more invested in Bowie than me. I think you're probably a bigger fan of the Thin White Duke than I am. Just well, uh, my uh, my my podcast logo and yeah. the name of the podcast came from David Bowie, so right. I guess you could say I'm kind of a fan. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, definitely you, Bowie fan. So coming at this. If you have both versions you're going to listen to, what are you going to tell someone you love about the original version of The Man Who Sold the World? Um, the original one, um, I I think it's good. Uh, I like my favorite part of the song is like the outro jam um, because I like the uh, additional chorus and the the chorus, the people singing that they have at the end there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting concept. And that is also one thing I think that really separates the original from the cover. Right. Yeah, no, no, that's true. I got a couple other things that I think separate the two, but I, yeah, of course. One thing that I love about the original, and this goes for both, but I think credit goes to the guy who came up with it. The riff itself, the main riff in that song is so good. I really love that main riff. And yeah, that goes for both versions, but you got to give it to Ronson for writing that riff in the first place. It's a very catchy riff. Yeah, yes. It's extremely. This is probably going to be the most out there thing that I have to say <laughs> during this program. From the original version, I get a salsa feel to it. Like a little, like it's almost oh, yeah. like, like a little, I don't know, it's got yeah. a, little, a little more swing to it than the Nirvana version. Well, and they have, um, I don't know what the, I forget what the instruments are called, but it's like the, the wooden instrument with the ribs and then right. you kind of like stroke it or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's definitely definitely like a samba or like, you know, that type feel to it. But yeah, so I could definitely see it as a samba. And now that you say that, that kind of makes more sense because, yeah, there's definitely two different grooves to like this original mm-hmm. and then like the Nirvana song. Yeah, which is I, this is one of the reasons why I love this series is I don't like when you go, oh, well, they're almost the same version anyways. You know what I mean? Like I like when someone puts their own spin on something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I feel that if Nirvana had done an electric version of this for an album, that it probably would have been much closer to Bowie's. Like, I feel like the the Unplugged allowed them to strip it down more, right? Yeah, yeah. And I like that it was stripped down, too. Right. Because the uh, Bowie one is a bit more produced. And Well, oh yeah, and that's that's another part that I have. I I do like the effect on the vocals on Bowie. Uh, Like, the it's like either a phaser or a phalange that's on his vocals the whole time. Um, I love the low harmonies. Here and there, because before I ever heard the David Bowie version of the song, ever since I heard the Nirvana version, and to this day, this week, listening to the song a lot more, I always sing high harmony over Kurt for like the majority of the song. Yeah. And so when I went back to listen to the Bowie version again, which I'd heard years ago, but when I went back for this episode to listen to it again, when the harmonies came in, I was like, see, see, there should be harmonies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. So, you know, it's two different in the song, I suppose. No, for sure. Yeah. But I like that though. I, for me, I like that when I heard it, my instinct was there should be a harmony on this. And then when I heard the original, I was like, mm-hmm, see, there's, uh-huh, there's there you go. Harmony. <laughs> uh, as far as the cover goes I, to yes. me, this is iconic. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it just is, this is a thing that I would assume there's a good section of maybe even just soccer moms. This might be the only Nirvana song they know. Yeah, it's quite possible. It's that, that crossover from like the Bowie, uh, into what maybe what their kids were listening to. Yeah, for sure. 
What do you like about the cover? Because again, like when I was just on your show recently, we talked in depth about Kurt uh, being from the area and Aberdeen and everything. I know you like Kurt and what Nirvana yeah. does is close <laughs> to you. So it's, it's, well, I'm saying I'm not just talking to a person who's like, yeah, I like some Nirvana. Like you, oh, you, yeah. you like, you like what Kurt does and what Nirvana did. Um, yes. So coming into this, what do you, what are your favorite things about the cover version? Um, the things I like about the cover version, um, I really, really enjoy that they took the riff, that guitar riff you were talking about, and really build on it. I like that the fuzz they put on it. So I really, really like that. And I also, I think I like the uh, the groove of Kurt's song a little bit better. Because like you were saying, with uh, Bowie's, it's a little bit more of a samba type feel to it. So those are the couple things that I really, really like about Kurt's version. I take Kurt's vocal and I... This is something Kurt Cobain does extremely well, in my opinion. I take Kurt's vocal to take, uh, he's taking a very serious, very somber vocal from Bowie and making it very flippant, which is something yeah, I, think, definitely. I think Kurt excels at that. Yes, definitely. And that's, I think that's, you know, kind of also what uh, draws me to it is like, I feel like I can be a very flippant person myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, I don't know. It's like, it's, I like, He's not making like the song silly, but no. he's like, oh, what am I? It's like hard to say. I'm trying to. Try. I when I listen to the Bowie vocal, it's worrisome to me. It's uh, who, yeah. who knows? Not me. Like someone needs to figure this out. Whereas Kurtz is shrugsies. You know who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Not <laughs> yeah. me. I mean, you know. You know. But like you said, it's not like. And I'm making fun of this. Like right. I feel like it's the way he reads that lyric. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's. Um, you know, kind of like also reflecting like his sort of stylistic choices that he makes. It's, uh, you know, his thought process and um, what he brings. I mean, because like he kind of does this with the other cover songs like we that we mentioned earlier, but um, he really makes the song his own. So it's it's similar enough to the original version that you recognize it. And it's it's still but he still did enough to it, in my opinion, that makes it stand apart from yeah. you know the original. No, I totally agree. So as far as the points that I had down for what I like about the cover, uh, the first thing I had was uh, the same thing you said in different words, but uh, I put, uh, I love, and the word love is in all caps with an asterisk on either side, uh, yes. the guitar tone on the main riff. The, yes. It is the exact same guitar riff with just enough edge to it to make it sound a little meaner than when Mark did it, and I love it. Yeah, it definitely, because it, it kind of gives it a little bit more angst, and it pairs well with Kurt's vocals that he sings. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the unsung hero of this track is Chris Novoselic on the bass. Okay. The, oh, yeah. the lead-ups under the uh, Who Knows, Not Me. <laughs> I mean, that's on the original, but the way Chris yeah. plays it, he's like ahead of the beat on it. On, yeah. on Very much on purpose. That's not me insulting Chris Novoselic. Like, he's on right. purpose. He's ahead on of the purpose. beat. Yeah. And it gives it, like... Maybe I'm way over analyzing this, but it gives an urgency to that part leading up while Kurt's being laid back at the same time. So it, yeah. it almost gives me like anxiety, like make up your mind. Like, are we, is this, is this urgent or not? Well, and that, that makes like the song more interesting too, I think, you know, because it, as an acoustic cover, um, there's, you know, there obviously not a lot of instrumentation there. Right. And so uh, that, that baseline really like gives um, the, the peaks and the swells to bring us back down to like where Kurt is. Exactly. And, and you know, it really it, like Kurt and Chris really play off well with for, each other. 
For as simple of a song as this is, I believe these guys drug kicking and screaming out of this song a lot more nuanced than was ever there before. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, and it brings it to a whole new audience, too. Mm -hmm. You know, the younger generation that probably hasn't seen the Man Who Sold the World movie. Um, they probably, you know, we know who David Bowie is, but maybe not the song specifically. And yeah, absolutely. The other person in the band, uh, well, Pat Smear was in the band at the time, too. But the other person in the band that I want to call out is uh, Dave Grohl, because oh, it, yeah. it would have been so simple for Grohl to go, yeah, I got it, Samba. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and this guy is almost asking his drums permission to hit them during this. Yeah. Like he plays this song so quiet. It's like to me, listening to this song, this version of The Man Who Sold the World, you have Chris is in a super angsty mood. Kurt is super laid back. And Dave, yeah. to me, comes off as the guy standing in the between being like, I'm not in it. Yeah. You know, that sounds, that sounds like their dynamic too, mm -hmm. just overall. So it, that makes sense what you're saying. Yeah. And I, but I love that. I think that I think Dave's drumming on Nirvana unplugged as a whole is really underrated, oh, but yeah. especially on a track like this where all, yeah. all he had to do was listen to the original and go, yeah, I'm just going to play it just like that. And yeah. Yeah. It's song, same song and same timing. And he finds a way to make it, give it a completely different groove. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I I I think Dave is just like a, a superb drummer and, and like the fact that he's like smart enough to know when to like back off and, and give other people like that's another great thing about Dave Grohl is he knows when other people are it's their time to shine and he's mm -hmm. supposed to like slip in the back. So uh yeah, definitely great. Yeah, it's that Ringoism that oh, uh, yeah. Dave has. A little less goofy though. No, <laughs> yeah. Well <laughs> everyone on earth is less goofy than uh, than Ringo Starr. Yeah. Uh, we're coming to the question that I'm sure Seth has been avoiding and will now probably uh, fake an internet outage uh, over this. Oh, yeah. Sorry, my internet oh. went out. I can't, uh, I can't answer that. Uh, sorry. Which of the two is your favorite and why? And I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, you're hating David Bowie if you say Nirvana or you're hating Nirvana if you say David Bowie. I mean, that's what it is. Like, I'm going to tell everyone that you hate the other artist if you, you know. Oh, yeah. But, like you hate him. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Heim. <laughs> by the way. Um, but uh, having said that, you know, we always ask which one's your favorite, but more important to me is the why of it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to put this to you, Seth. This is probably the moment you've been sweating about for a week, at least. Uh, which version of the man who sold the world is your favorite and more important to me? Why? Definitely. It's a close call. Like we have been saying the whole episode. Um, I was you know, came into recording not having one picked and hoping that something in our conversation or Russ would would sway my decision one way or the other. I think I really have to go with the Nirvana version just because that is the first version I heard. So there is that a little bit of that bias there. But also, I just really enjoy I really enjoy the uh, the aesthetic choices that Kurt made. Well, the whole band, I suppose, and it just really works. I, I don't know. I really enjoyed that a lot more. And that's not to discredit Bowie, of course. Um, also a great version, but you know, I'm more in the Nirvana generation than the Bowie generation. Sure. For me, I'm usually not the person who says, well, that's the version I heard first, but that does play into this a great deal for me. I mean, I, yeah. I heard this version so many times before. I mean, this is pre-streaming, right? So like if, if, right. Nirvana, if that, if that record had come out today, 
you know, the moment he says that was a David Bowie song, all of us would hit back and go Bowie, man who sold the world and just hear the song. Right. Well, it came right. out, it came out in 94 record stores weren't even stock. It's not like I could go to the record store to buy that Bowie record. It wasn't, you know, if you went to the record store, then they had like fame and changes and that was it for Bowie and stock. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So it took me a while to even hear the original. But it's not just that I heard the Nirvana version first. When we do these things, I always give all the credit in the world to people. Like, again, uh, Ronson for writing that lyric, Bowie, for coming Absolutely. up with the melody. But I feel like Nirvana did so much more with this song than was there in the first place. Yeah. That it's just the better version of the song. Well, and also, too, I think uh, with the Nirvana version, I think you get a better chance to actually hear the lyrics of the song because it is acoustic and so stripped back that you really get like a chance to sit with the story and, uh, and right. the words. Which also comes from the environment that they did it in as opposed to Bowie in the studio with the, hey, let's put this effect on this vocal because we can. Right. That <laughs> Well, that, is that and then, you know, there's all the extra instrumentation, you know, the, the uh, auxiliary instruments and stuff like that, too, that right. kind of like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So now the, the, the question that can have a twist, though, is which version Ooh. would you recommend? So if, uh, you know, this is all dream world scenario stuff, but if somebody said, you know, hey, I heard this song called Man Who Sold the World, you know, uh, would you say, uh, well, you know what? You should definitely check out the Bowie one first. Like, would you give someone the opportunity to hear that first before Nirvana? Or would you just go, mm, you know what? Uh, really, you just want to hear the Nirvana version. So uh, if I walked up to you and said, hey, I want to hear the song, The Man Who Sold the World, which version would you tell me to listen to? Um, well, you're old, so I would probably say the Bowie version. Um, <laughs> yeah, old grandpa needs help with songs. So. <laughs> you know, it's not as not as much distortion, more friendly. You know, to the ears. You know, with you don't have to turn the ear the uh, earpieces down. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I'll be able to find it on my jitterbug phone. Yeah, easily. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. For me, I would tell everybody in the world to start with the Nirvana version. And yeah, probably. That probably makes me <laughs> awful, but there's just so much more nuance going on in the Nirvana version that I almost feel like if you told someone to listen to the Bowie version first, that they would be like, that's okay. That's a song. Like, I don't think they would ever. I think if you start with the Nirvana version, you would want to hear the Bowie version. I think if you start with the Bowie version, you'd be like, I, well, like there's I, not as there's not as much interest to continue to follow through yeah, to hear the cover. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean for those reasons, that's why I would tell someone to listen to the Nirvana one first, because at least in my experience, it sounds like yours. Yeah. The way that Nirvana did the song allowed you to see more in the original. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would I would agree. Definitely would recommend the Nirvana song, but I would also give a really strong recommendation to listening to the Bowie version afterwards. I would tell everybody just go listen to Let's Dance by Bowie. I, uh, yeah damn it i love that song that, i would rather listen to let's dance <laughs> yeah let's dance china girl jesus well, golden years yeah golden years what a career but yeah so those are our thoughts on uh the nirvana versus david bowie and the man who sold the world and i feel like this episode's going to have one of two reactions from people either people are going to say that we way overanalyzed and praised nirvana too much or yeah hopefully there's going to be a lot of people that are like damn it, I never even thought about all that nuance, you know? Yeah, I was a little nervous, like, because I I wasn't sure exactly where you stood before we recorded, but I kind of had a feeling you were going to go Nirvana just because of the podcast we already recorded. Right. Um, but I, I was like, 
I don't know where Russ is going to be like and and you know usually it's like not cool and rock and roll to like the cover you know like I knew the original way before or whatever so uh yeah people are either going to love us or hate us <laughs> and I knew people back in the 90s who were like huge Bowie fans and even even them when they did man who sold the world none of the people i knew were like oh yeah i know that song you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so like anybody who says that they knew the bowie version ahead of time we touched on this earlier i believe is and i'm sorry to use this kind of language on the show but i believe they're a fibber yeah so that's that's my liar point. liar pants on fire yeah oh come on seth come on sorry you can bleep that out if <sighs> we you try, need to. we try not to get political on this show oh, okay all right um hashtag put the fires out uh, so I didn't start the fire. It's just always burning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> geez, I wish somebody would come along and cover that so we can have that in a cover battle. Uh, but this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, if you've heard what Seth has to say, then you know that he has a lot of in-depth and cool thoughts to share about music and, uh, from his perspective, which is not only across the country for me, but I, I know this, I'm not saying this for the lulls, but it's a different generation for me as well. So yes. I, really strongly recommend that if you love music and you love listening to this show that you absolutely go subscribe to uh treble treble and you're on i think at least twitter and instagram do you have facebook uh, for yeah the show twitter well? and insta no no facebook no. uh facebook's for boomers it's, and political rants so yeah it's darn near <laughs> useless anyways we've we've had a facebook page for the um for the show the entire time we've had one and they're like i post like maybe once a week on it you know yeah, it's, it's yeah. I don't even check my own Facebook anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but definitely subscribe to Seth's show, Trouble Trouble. And Please. if you want to interact with him, by all means, because previously his show was all album reviews and now he switched it up to where they also have like topics on top of the album review. So even if you look at an episode and you say, oh, well, that album's not my cup of tea, the rest of the conversation is probably going to interest you enough to where you should be subscribed yep. to the show, in my opinion. The most recent uh, episode is The Color and the Shape by the Foo Fighters. So uh, sort of in uh, adjacent to the episode that we just did, um, we talked about uh, our mini topic is talking about fat phobia and Sam Smith. Um, because there's been a lot of discussion about that. And then um, after this is posted, the following episode will be uh, Troy Sivan's album, Bloom. Oh, right on. So a lot of good variety and topics and whatnot. So like I say, I, you know, I've been a pretty truthful person the entire time we've done this show. I don't say anything that I don't believe in on the show. And when I say to our listeners, hey, go check this show out, uh, I never say it if I don't mean it. Uh, and Seth falls in line with some folks we've had on like, uh, beer in front and, uh, ever trending story. And of course, beard Al, where you have to, I think that you would have a, <laughs> yeah, I think that you would have a, a very hard time not enjoying Seth's show. So I cannot tell yes. you enough to go check it out. And this is not the last time that you're going to hear from Seth on our program, because this is episode two of season eight. We have 15 episodes total in this season. Uh, when we come back around to episode 14, Seth is going to sit in with us one more time and I could be wrong. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I believe that's a Michelle centric episode. So no, no, it's not. It's just, it's just us again. And okay. we're doing a cover battle. It's going to be similar to this, but uh, it's guns and roses and uh, Bob Dylan. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, that'll, yeah. that'll be fun. That's another thing. There's two totally different versions of the same Something song, to look so. forward to. Yeah. So I might agree with Russ. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You don't even we'll know see. which way I'm going to go. Uh, I know which way you're going to go. Oh boy. <laughs> we'll stay tuned we'll figure it out right on as we always say about this time without music 
Life would be a mistake. Bye. Bye. The Infectious Groove Podcast is hosted by Russ Robinson, Kyle Wimple, and Michelle Casalecki. Produced and edited by Russ Robinson. Intro and outro music composed by Chris Kimmel. Recorded with a Rode Podcaster Pro and Rode Pod Mike.